Like all good things, New Reads November 2020 must come to an end. Listeners, this is the last week of this special month on SSR. Starting next week, we will be back to our usual throwback kid-lit programming. But in the meantime, don't worry. We are going out with a bang. On this week's episode, it's all about Leah Johnson's debut novel, You Should See Me in a Crown. This book got so much love and attention this past summer, and for good reason. It's the story of an overachiever named Liz Lighty, who joins the intense competition for prom queen at her Indiana high school when she discovers that winning the title might be her only chance at securing the scholarship money she needs to achieve her dream of going to Pennington College to become a doctor. The fact that Liz is black and queer in a town that celebrates sameness and conservatism is only a minor concern. Well, as long as she can keep blending in, right? Liz's journey through the wild world of prom court contention totally changes her senior year. She's able to mend her broken relationship with Jordan, her bestie from middle school who she hasn't spoken with in years. She's able to learn more about her peers. Some of them are way cooler than she thought, and some of them are, well, not. She's able to get more comfortable being her true self in front of her community because it turns out that she has a lot of support. She even gets to fall in love with Amanda, a new girl who starts as a fellow prom queen hopeful and ultimately executes the perfect promposal with the help of Kitteridge, Liz's favorite band. Does Liz win the prom queen title and the scholarship money she needs? I'm not going to tell you. If you haven't read the book yet, you totally should. Episode 122 is basically a fangirl session for You Should See Me in a Crown. My guests and I also swap lots of our own high school memories, including many of the prom-related variety. And we go deep on popularity, friend breakups, queer rep in YA, depictions of anxiety in YA, and writing books in a pandemic. Thanks so much to my guest, Jenny Lee, for joining me on this episode. Jenny Lee is a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. She is also the author of the YA novel, Anna Kay. You know, the book with that fabulous cover with the blue background and the girl wearing awesome sunglasses? It made a big splash on Bookstagram earlier this year. Another fun fact about Jenny, she has a 135-pound Newfoundland dog named Gemma. I am obsessed. You can follow Jenny on Instagram at Jenny Lee Writes. You can follow SSR on Instagram at SSRPod, and our handle is the same over on Twitter. Check out the podcast on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast or The SSR Podcast Community. The SSR Podcast Community is getting bigger and chattier by the day, so if you're into Facebook groups, you should definitely come on over. Every week, we talk about the new episode and share resources about the books discussed on the show. And every Wednesday, I offer up a month's worth of show previews, so you can really read along with the pod if you would like. If you would like to show your love for the SSR podcast this holiday season and beyond, there are a few ways to do it. You can start with a five-star rating or review on iTunes. Leaving ratings and reviews on the Purple Podcast app really is one of the best things you can do to help your favorite podcasts out, and it doesn't take very long. While you're at it, why not leave a rating and review for the other podcasts you love? I think I speak on behalf of podcasters everywhere when I say thank you. You can also support SSR by shopping for podcast merch. This is also a treat for you because all of the SSR swag is super cute. Visit www.ssrpodcast.com shop for bookmarks, stickers, t-shirts, and tote bags, all of which would make the perfect holiday gift for the SSR fans and book lovers in your life. Finally, support SSR by joining the Patreon family. I recently lowered the price of Patreon membership by like half, so you can now access perks like newsletters, bonus episodes, and exclusive voice notes for less than ever before. There are other fun rewards in the works for the new year too. In addition to cashing in on these awesome rewards, as an SSR patron, you can take pride in knowing that you're helping to keep this little independent podcast going strong. I appreciate each and every one of the Patreon sponsors tuning into this episode. Learn more about Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. This week's episode of SSR is brought to you by Rebecca Witherspoon's If the Boot Fits. It's the first book in the series, A Cowboy to Remember, and it's now available. Author Rebecca Witherspoon has already received her fair share of accolades and awards for her work in the romance genre. She's also the founder and promoter of WOC in Romance, a platform that promotes romances written by women of color. If the Boot Fits is a fresh twist on the Cinderella story we all know and love that has touches of Hollywood glamour, small-town romance, and, of course, cowboys. It might just be the perfect book to add to your TBR. 
While you're adding books to your TBR, don't forget to visit Libro.fm for all of your audiobook needs. Libro.fm allows you to support independent bookstores instead of giant corporations when you buy audiobooks. The audiobooks you get from Libro.fm are exactly the same as the ones you would purchase from big corporations, and they're the same price too. Plus, SSR listeners can cash in on a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. I just bought and started listening to A Promised Land by Barack Obama on Libro.fm, and I am totally loving it. Okay, listeners, for one more week of New Reads November, let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hafkasik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to SSR. Hi, Allie. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's the last week of New Reads November. Next week, listeners, we'll be back with our usual throwback reads, but it's Thanksgiving week. Today, I am thankful for the opportunity to talk to you, Jenny, about this amazing book. I'm thankful for Zoom and other Zoom-esque kind of technologies so that I can talk about books with people no matter where they are. So thank you so much for taking the time. Listeners, Jenny is actually taking the time out of her vacation to do this. (laughs) So I am extra thankful for that. Thanks. Yeah, it's my very first vacation since the pandemic started. So I've never, I haven't left my apartment in so long. So I'm just like, oh my gosh, look outside. It's so fun. I mean, well-deserved. I, I can't wait for that like first post-pandemic vacation. I can't even imagine what it's going to feel like. I can't, I can't wait. But you are taking a break from your vacation to talk to me today about Leah Johnson's You Should See Me in a Crown. I am so excited. So I have to tell you that I I wanted to read this book all year. Like I got so many great reviews from it, from my friends. And a lot of my friends don't read YA regularly, but for some reason, this book just like made its way around my friend group over the summer. The book came out in June and all of a sudden my friends were like, you have to read this. You have to read this. You have to do it for the podcast. And I was like, I don't know. I, I want to try to save it for New Reads November. So I kept holding off. I had bought it months ago and I was just waiting to read it for New Reads November. And so finally I got to read it and I was thrilled that you decided to choose it so that I could finally like catch up to my friends and read this book. Yeah, same. it's kind of a similar story with me because right when this book came out, it was sort of everywhere on Instagram. And I was like, oh my God, it's such a cute cover. I kept hearing all these great things. What, what was, um, is this Reese Witherspoon's like first pick? Yeah. Young adult pick? Yeah. And so then it got picked for that. And so I bought it like from a, I feel like, I mean, I was definitely one of those indie bookstore drives where I like, I was like, oh, I put it in my shopping cart. I was super excited. And I've been waiting to read it too. So it all worked out. It was perfectly that we could both read it together. Yes, absolutely. Well, I know it sold out of a lot of retailers early on. I think the timing of it must've been really tricky because like I said, it published in June when of course, like, I mean, we were all figuring everything out in June with the pandemic. And so this book just made such a huge splash that people were having trouble getting their hands on it, which is a really good thing. And also I'm sure really frustrating thing for the publisher. Right. All that to say, I'm very excited about the chance to talk about it with you today. Can you share a little bit about why you were looking forward to reading this? I know you mentioned that you saw it all over Instagram, but was there anything else maybe that you heard that sparked your interest? When I found out it was about prom, I was like super into it. I have always had this thing about like proms. I don't know, just being like this romantic thing. I have a big nostalgia for proms and it's not even necessarily my own, but I just always love those episodes in TV, like early Grey's Anatomy. I remember one of my favorite episodes is like Shonda Rhimes found a way to do prom in the hospital. It was like early season one or two because there was a girl and she was sick and she was dying and she was missing her prom and they did one at the hospital. And I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Like I love... I don't know. I'm into prom. Only Shonda could do that. Like, I feel like only yeah, Shonda totally. could bring a prom to a hospital. No, yes, I agree. Yes. I think prom is just like, I don't know. I feel like it's overflowing with possibilities creatively for writers and creators of all kinds. It did get me thinking about my own prom. Did you have good prom experiences or bad prom experiences? 
I had a pretty good prom experience, I think. I mean, when I was thinking, I was getting a little bit nostalgic about prom, too. I went to a very small, I lived in a very small town in Tennessee. I grew up in called Paris, Tennessee. And so it was like population 11,000. So it's small. So everyone's like, whenever I hear about these proms and like fancy hotel ballrooms, et cetera, ours was in our gym. Like we don't, there were like, there's like two little local hotels in this little town. So no one had a ballroom basically. So it was sort of at the gym, but it was this whole transformation process of trying to get the gym to look, you know, like a prom. I kind of love that though. I feel like I love on TV shows when the prom is in the, is in the gym or in the cafeteria (laughs) and it's, it's just, it's just decorated enough. Like you you can still see the ceiling. You can still see that it's like a gymnasium floor. I went to a huge school, so we had big proms and I was on the prom committee and I found that very stressful because there were a lot of cool girls on the prom committee and I was not quite a cool girl. And so trying to, I was like the student government girl. So I was trying to sort of toe the line of like the teachers who were in charge of student government and then the cool girls who showed up to be on prom committee. Right. And that was very stressful for me. I get that. I can see it. It's very political. I mean, that kind of feeds into exactly what this book is when I was reading about it. It's funny because when I first started out, it was like, oh, it reminded me there's a book and I wish I should have looked up the title. I'm sorry. There's a famous book. It's a nonfiction book about this prom in um, it's actually somewhere in Pennsylvania. I think it's a small town outside of Philadelphia, but they are like this town because I don't know if she based this on anything real in Indiana, but like in Pennsylvania, they have an entire it is like this. They're like the whole town gathers together to make this one crazy prom. So there was a nonfiction book. It's old. I think it's like 15, 20 years old. And I've actually reached out to the guy before the author to be like, hey, are you, is this option for TV or is this something? But he, he keeps the option himself because he's trying to make a movie of it himself. Yeah, I'll do some research too, because I yeah. actually live in Philadelphia. I'm a new Philadelphia resident. I, I grew up like an hour and a half from Philly. I'm not familiar with that school, but I, I need to know all the details. So maybe you and I together can figure out what the book is and I can try to find the link to include in the show notes because I have a feeling that listeners are going to be just as intrigued as I am. Yeah, totally. Uh, my, my brother lives outside of Philly, Wincote. I don't know. Oh. I don't. I don't know where exactly where that is, except that it's thirty minutes outside of the city. Yeah, I barely know Philly because I moved in the middle of the pandemic. But oh, I'm did? doing my best. Yeah, okay. I did a pandemic New York exodus kind of move, and now here I am in Philly, and really? now I need to find out who has this kind of a prom. But yes, this this prom setup is un it's unreal. So for a little context, based on the reading that I did about Leah Johnson, she grew up in a town in Indiana that I don't I don't think had this kind of a massive prom culture. But it's very much an homage to where she grew up. She talked in several interviews about how she wanted to write sort of a love letter to the place where she grew up, but she also wanted to be very honest about it. And she grew up as one of very few Black girls in her school. And though she wasn't out when she was in high school, she definitely was questioning her sexuality when she was a teenager. And so she talks a lot in some of these interviews about how she she really wanted to make sure that she was telling the truth about the experience that she had and that a girl like Liz Light would have in this kind of a school. So I thought that was interesting. Listeners, as always, I will be sure to include links to all of the good interviews that I found in the show notes for this episode. But like, let's just talk about what's happening in Campbell County with this prom. (laughs) Okay, let's. It's out of control. Like prom is everything to these kids. I thought prom was a big deal to me. Like I thought that my friends and I thought prom was the most important thing that had ever happened to us. But this is like a multi- week multi-event I think it I think the book covers something like six or seven weeks right leading up to not just prom but this announcement of the prom king and queen which yes is somewhat of a deal in a lot of schools and was a deal in my school but this is like a whole other level Jenny what were your first impressions of the prom culture at Campbell County High School. I was totally here for it. I was so into it. I was like, I mean, I can see where it can take over because it's always like exactly what you said. It is a big deal, I think, in every school. One thing I was thinking about when I was reading it, I was like, this is the perfect book to come out. Uh, You know, not, you know, obviously the pandemic is not a good thing, but I'm saying so many kids didn't get to go to prom this year, right? Because of it, you know? And I found that really particularly heartbreaking that all these like major life events, obviously graduation, I'm sure your parents are more upset about that. But I feel like as a girl, I would have been more upset about prom being canceled than graduation. Just because it's like one of these markers that you've always been waiting for, like growing up. I remember very distinctly that 
you know, the prom issue of Seventeen magazine is March. So they give you enough time to like start looking for your dress. And that was my birthday month. And I was always so proud that that was always a big <laughs> issue. <laughs> about I have a prom, prom. birthday. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I would always kind of like, look, I remember just, you know, it's such a big thing. So that's why it's interesting. They don't really talk about dresses that much. Have you noticed when I think about it now? Yeah, I kind of wanted that a little more. I guess like in the end, we get that Liz, our main character, wears her mom's dress, which was really sweet and nostalgic. And it actually sounded like really beautiful, which I was thrilled for her that she had like that kind of an option casually available to her in her house. Because like, no offense to my mom, but I don't know that I would have worn her prom dress. (laughs) Right. She had great taste for the time, but like maybe not so much for me in 2007 when I went to the prom. Yeah, would have loved a little bit more dress shopping. I did find an interesting fact about Leah Johnson. She talks about how her first experience with racial profiling actually happened when she was shopping for a prom dress. Oh, really? Yeah. So she has a lot of emotion tied up in the prom. She talks a bit about a story where I guess she was shopping for a dress and and one of the sales associates said to her like, oh, somebody, a girl like you won't be able to afford this dress or something horrendous. Terrible. Yeah. So maybe that's why she didn't do a lot of dress talk. Because I agree. For me, like so much of the prom experience was like, okay, who are you going to go dress shopping with? And where are you going to go? And how many are you going to try on? I was waiting for that. But I guess in some ways, it's sort of refreshing that that wasn't the focus. I agree. Like this weird political thing with all of the popular kids in school that Liz is is finding her way through and navigating. And Liz is, is different than a lot of these other kids that she's competing against. She has a very specific specific reason that she's even decided to run for prom court right she isn't really like I didn't get the sense that she's unpopular she just exists in her kind of like own bubble social category her own bubble and I think that's kind of how I felt in high school like I wasn't necessarily popular or unpopular I was involved in lots of different things I was well liked but I definitely didn't see myself as cool and so I related to Liz in a lot of ways I sort of felt apart I think from a lot of the sort of like standard social groups at school, which is how I felt about Liz. Like she's really into her music. She has a solid group of friends, but she doesn't really want more than that. And she has a lot to hide. She's like not trying to have a lot of people to her house because she's embarrassed that it's not as big as the houses that a lot of her friends live in. So she's an interesting character. What were your first impressions of her? Yeah, I really liked her too. I mean, I was thinking it really does, it really does make you kind of go back to your own high school experience because I'm similar to you. Like, I mean, I definitely wasn't unpopular, but I wouldn't say I was the most popular. And also like Liz, like I was the only Asian girl in my entire town growing up. Like there were none others. Um, So, I mean, everyone sort of knew who I was because my father was a doctor in town. Everyone's like, oh, you're Dr. Lee's daughter. So I was sort of known, but like didn't want to be known. So it is a weird thing. And I'm sure that was sort of similar for her being one of the only black students in like a school that's predominantly white. I did like her. I loved her friend group, which I thought was great because I think that's the core. You really just need your your girls, you know what I mean? So, and she definitely had that. I kind of felt similar also because I was like a super nerd. So I was like, always had like the smart friends, you know, that I had that in like all the AP classes, but those weren't usually like the main popular. So I think I was like, kind of, I think it's this idea that you're kind of a floater. Like I was perfectly fine. I could mingle with a lot of different groups, but they weren't necessarily my groups. Like I was accepted, but it wasn't like my crowd. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds like we would have been friends. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We would have been pals in high school. Maybe we would have gone prom dress shopping together and we could have written a book about it. Yeah, for sure. One thing when I was first reading it, I really liked the way into the story about like, in a way she was super confident. That's what she had. She's like, I'm going to get into Pennington. This is how it's going to go. She had it all planned out. And I just feel like, you know, it was heartbreaking when she didn't get it. When she got that letter, it's that first gut punch because you remember that too, which is like, you have this whole map of how you you know, your college, I mean, what you're going to do for college, et cetera. And it just didn't go away. And she was pretty confident she was going to make it, you know, because she had all the recommendations and everything. So I thought that was a really good, like, initial thing to, like, get you, like, rooting for this girl immediately. Because it is like, and then it's like, oh, my God, your worst nightmare. You have to, like, go for prom, to be a prom queen to, like, win the money that you need, you know? They, she really, uh, the author, uh, Leah, really set it up very well to have all the, like, the stakes stacked against her. I think when you're a teenager, too, you are scared about, like, your grandparents and, you know, sacrificing so much for you and their money and stuff. So, I mean, I liked her immediately. She had, like, a very, like, thoughtful, warm presence. 
And I really felt for her. I agree. Her plan is to follow in her mom's footsteps. So she unfortunately lost her mom when she was younger to sickle cell disease, which I thought was a really thoughtful touch and something that Leah Johnson also talked about in some of the interviews that I read. She talks about how the fact that Liz's mother had sickle cell disease and now Liz's younger sister, Robbie, has sickle cell disease works really well narratively, but it also is an important piece of content to share with readers because sickle cell disease does predominantly and disproportionately affect the Black community. And so she really wanted to include that in Liz's story. And it's it's really important to Liz to do the things that her mom did. Her mom went to Pennington College and Liz has been so inspired not only by her mother's experience at Pennington, but also by watching the doctors and the care that her mom and now her little brother have received for their sickle cell disease that she wants to be a doctor. Right. So her plan is to go to Pennington, but her grandparents who now take care of her don't have a lot of money. And so she has this music scholarship or she thinks she has this music scholarship. And then shortly after the book begins, we find out that no, that scholarship does not come through. And though this whole prom, prom court thing has always felt really big and intimidating to Liz because like, who wouldn't be intimidated by it? She discovers that there's a $10,000 prize associated with winning prom queen. And that's like exactly what she needs to be able to go to Pennington. And I love that she was like trying to keep it off her grandparents' radar because she didn't want them to know. I loved her grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I loved her so much. I think my dog is scratching his collar right now. So if there's background noise, we all know Irv in this community. Irving is here with me today. Hi, Irving. Jenny says hi, Irv. Hi. <laughs> <He> says hi. <laughs> I loved her grandmother. We got more of her at the end when Liz has to come clean about the fact that she's going to all this trouble to do the prom court thing because she wants to win the money for Pennington. And her grandmother is just like game. She's like, okay, great. How do we make this the best experience possible for you? Which I thought was amazing. Yeah, it was great. It's nice to have like that she had that sort of support system. It's funny that when you're a teen, you're like, oh, I can't tell so-and-so and whatnot, you know? And then it, I love it when the reaction, you just don't expect it. You know, when people like you care about do unexpected things and she just didn't know and stuff. I mean, they really, I have to say hats off to Leah Johnson. She really packed so much in here, right? I mean, this book had so much going on. So it was a super fast, like compelling read that way, because obviously she has the Pennington and the prom, but then, you know, she has issues with her best friend, Gabby. And then also, you know, and then Jordan, like this uh, blast, this boy from her past really comes to play. And that was sort of an interesting sort of arc as well. There was just, you know, she really had a year, Liz Lighty. She had a lot going on in those seven weeks. Which I think is sort of representative of how those last few weeks of your senior year of high school feel now that I'm thinking about it. Like, I, I remember thinking that the first couple of months of senior year went really slowly because I was such a nerd and all that I cared about was applying to college. And that was all that I was doing. And that was the only thing my friends and I were talking about. And then all of a sudden, like the holidays came and they went and then all of a sudden everybody knew where they were going to college. And then in those last two months, it's like prom. And then we had like senior picnic and whatever else it was, like all of the other events. And it does go so fast. And then there are all these social things happening in the midst of those other big events. And then it's over and then everybody's gone. Yep. And I just really liked how Leah Johnson put in like, I don't know, she just did packed it, but it didn't seem like too much. You know what I mean? It seemed like the right pacing, exactly what you're saying that it is so frenetic at the end of the year. So it just felt like that. You were just really like, were a little bit like stressed out for Liz, but then, you know, and there was so much going on. She was handling so much. And then, you know, and of course there's a breaking point when it's like everything kind of like explodes, but it was really well done. I was very impressed. I mean, especially for a debut, right? This is her first novel. Yeah, yeah it is. She great. wrote it right out of grad school. I was reading oh, and as, uh, as the listeners know, I'm currently, I'm finishing up the first semester of my MFA right now. And oh. like in the thick of really like getting the first chunk of my novel written. And so reading the interviews about her experience writing this right out of grad school. I read one interview where she was like, yeah, I hope my books only get better because when I was writing You Should See Me in a Crown, I really didn't know how to write a novel. And so I was just kind of like putting it down on paper and it made me feel so much better to read that because I was like, okay, so I'm not really supposed to know yeah. how to write a novel. I'm just supposed to be writing a lot of things down and then it'll get easier maybe. But she, she joked about how she actually hopes that You Should See Me in a Crown is her worst book, which this book is so good that it's like really hard for me to imagine that. Yeah, because it really was, again, it was very smartly plotted. There was like a lot of stuff going on and she really 
brought all those characters up. I really like her dialogue because, I mean, I'm a TV writer, probably more so than I am, like, uh, you know, an author myself, I guess. I always say, oh, writing books is like my side hustle sort of thing for now. And, you know, so I'm really into dialogue. So I thought her dialogue was really good because I'm just like a dialogue snob because I'm like, oh, I just like, especially how girls talk with each other and stuff. Like, you know, you, you can kind of tell when it's sort of like written Versus like, oh, this is kind of like how they actually talk. So it, there was a good flow to it. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, there's such a fine line, I think, sometimes between dialogue, especially with teens and teens that are meant to be funny and like right. super voicey. There's such a fine line between it feeling funny and voicey and then it feeling contrived and like it's working too hard. And I didn't right. get that at all in this book. These teens were funny and they were cool and they had strong voices. But I don't think there was any moment where I was like, no teen would actually make that joke. It all felt right. very organic to me. But the more we talk about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, there was so much in this book. And I don't, it's hard for me to even think about what my favorite element of it was. I did really like her relationship with Jordan and her evolving relationship with Jordan. Jenny mentioned briefly that Jordan is this friend that she had and then lost. They had bonded over the band when they were in middle school, I believe. And then he kind of got cool. Like he started playing football when they went to high school and she came back from the summer between eighth and ninth grade, like so excited to see him. And she thought things were going to be like they always were. And she, you can just picture it. Like she went running up to him in the hallway when he was with his football friends and he makes fun of her hair Yeah, because she wears her hair natural and it's devastating. And I, I had, and I still do have my best friend in high school who I'm lucky enough to still call one of my best friends is a boy, mm-hmm. but is a man now, but wasn't right. a boy. <laughs> right. I never had this kind of a fallout, but we fought with each other all the time. Like we were, it, and I don't know if it was, I, I didn't have a brother. I think he was, he felt to me like what a brother was supposed to feel like. And we would just, we gave each other such a hard time, but we always made up and it broke my heart so much thinking about what it would feel like in Liz's shoes to, to lose him and, and to not know if there was an easy way to get him back. I always knew that I would have my friend back. And my heart broke for her in that moment because they they go for years without speaking. Right. I know. It's a big reveal. I mean, I thought that reveal was sort of interesting because I was like waiting for it the whole time. I was like, okay, we have to find out exactly like what happened or why he's trying now. Because I didn't necessarily see it coming. Like what you find out that he did actually like, spoiler alert, write her that letter and that she didn't get it or whatnot. Because I was just like, oh, what is the little mystery? Because it's funny because I guess I don't know if this is like what everyone does or if it's me because I'm always kind of thinking plot in my head because I was trying you try to guess a little bit like what you think is going to happen and I'm like okay it's tied in with the girlfriend the mysterious girlfriend that he has that's gone is there something about that or you know it's sort of but it was a really heartfelt moment when he sort of admitted that you know to her though part of me was like you know you write her this one letter and she she still like never forgave you and you never went back and checked on her again to make sure she got it It was one of those I mean that was the only thing where I was like "Mm, really as a guy I was like couldn't you have like tried a little harder to make to make up maybe yeah I think that's true because <laughs> right. he had given a like a, an apology letter to right. Liz's other friend Gabby mm-hmm. and Gabby another spoiler alert I can't believe her she failed to pass the letter along which then leads of course to a whole fallout between Liz and Gabby because Liz is like what the hell I'm having so much fun hanging out with Jordan again on prom court and, and I could have been hanging out with him this whole time if you'd given me the letter but yeah I agree I, I do think it's weird like they are living in this relatively small town. Right. You would think that at some point this would have like come to blows a little bit more where they would have been in the same space and there would have been some question as to why there had never been resolution between the two of them when there was a letter exchanged. Right. I did find the thing with his girlfriend a little confusing. That was the only part where I was like, I don't I don't know that I needed his you missing needed girlfriend. It felt like one more thing in a book that already had so many amazing things going for it. It was a little distracting for me. And if I had to come up with a criticism for the book, which would be difficult, right? I think that's what it would be. Yeah, because yeah, you didn't totally necessarily need it. It didn't necessarily go anywhere. What I, I did really like, I mean, uh, sticking with the whole like the Jordan betrayal in the letter, I found it so sad when she did confront Gabby, though, and was like, that whole experience really changed how I saw myself. And it I liked it and I didn't like it. I mean, I like it. I mean, I thought it was very smart and I thought it was very real. I mean, I'm saying the only reason why I didn't like it because I was like, oh, it was so painful to read that like one interaction that was totally a miscommunication and could have been solved that that for her entire high school experience 
changed everything for her about how she saw herself and that she kind of tried to hide. And I really, you know, I found that a little bit heartbreaking, but in like a good way. Do you know what I mean? When you're like, you know, a freshman in high school, I mean, it scarred her clearly. I mean, it really like affected everything. I mean, it all of course worked out in a really great way, but at the end, I mean, it really was sad that something like that, that could have been like figured out, like really affected her personal you know, how she saw herself. Like, that was very sad to me that it can take that, you know, but I think it's very real. I think to be a teenage girl, like, it's just it's just tough these days. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's really, especially with social media, etc. I thought it was sort of interesting. What did you think about the whole Campbell confidential? It was very Gossip Girl to me. <laughs> yeah, no, it was so Gossip Girl. Um, For those who haven't read there, there's this app that somebody at the school created called Campbell Confidential. That's like a school specific Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, like all social media formats in one, but just for the students of this school. I thought it was fascinating. And it was, it, I think it worked really well plot wise because almost anything could be explained. Totally. Through Campbell Confidential. It was like, oh, this person found out the secret, Campbell Confidential. Oh, like this news got around really quick, Campbell Confidential. Like all, all that had to happen was like one random freshman had to see something happening and it was a very it was a very easy way to like spread messages around this whole body very quickly so I thought that was effective but for some reason my only like confusion with it was that I think I think that while there are a few wealthy families who seem to live in this area it generally wasn't this like super affluent area and I think maybe it was because it felt so gossip girl to me Whenever Campbell Confidential came up, I was like, oh, like a bunch of rich kids, like programming <laughs> apps for themselves. But I think, yeah, maybe it was, maybe I was just thinking of Gossip Girl, but I thought it was really effective and it just gave the book this really fresh feel. And I wonder if, if there are schools out there who have this. I know. I was curious about that too. It also reminded me a little bit of um, One of Us is Lying. You know, they had that whole like gossip. I mean, that was kind of centered around it too. And I was like, Wow was this the new version of a school newspaper that everyone has like this little gossip magazine? I keep feeling like in these days, like they would shut that stuff down so fast because it would quickly get out of control. I was like, Lord of the flies. You get a bunch of yeah. kids with their own private internet. It would get really, you know, but I thought again, it was very effective, but it did, it did kind of give me, you know, I liked that it was a closed network sort of thing. And so then everyone already knew the players and it was fun to see like what's trending in Campbell, like Campbell, on Campbell Confidential is obviously different from the rest of the world. It made it a nice little pocket, you know what I mean? Like it was like its own like whole world, which I really, I did appreciate. It really kind of immersed you into the thing and it, it didn't get bogged down by like what's really happening in the world outside of the school. Yeah, I think the author did a really good job of establishing like a school culture for Campbell high school or Campbell County High School, which I think is so, that's such a real thing. And I, I now have read a lot of YA books, many of them good, but I think that it's hard to get that right. It's hard to like to mimic the way that it feels to be a high school student who's so immersed in the culture of their school. And I felt that way reading this book. Like it made me feel like I went to Campbell County High School and I understood like the rituals and the traditions and I felt like I understood what was valued and what was looked down upon. Like I just, there, and maybe, maybe part of it was like you said, she's built this sort of closed system with Campbell Confidential. And so it's very easy for it to be immersive. Right, right, for sure. I thought it was interesting. I mean, I know we're jumping around a lot, but I guess that's how we both think or whatever. Yeah, the, the, totally you know, her nemesis, the Rachel, and I liked that like she didn't like they didn't make up in the end like she was a villain and she stayed a villain do you know what I mean and she got her come up and said that was that because sometimes I do feel like sometimes in young adult maybe especially it's like oh let's try to make it all kind of neat and tidy in a bow a little bit at the end and like that you know and it's like sometimes I'm always like sometimes there are bullies and sometimes people are mean and mean girls and they stay mean girls they don't necessarily like have a whole like come to jesus moment where everything's got all, all worked out like rachel just she was what she was and so i sort of like that she got her little bit of comeuppance there sometimes people just suck in high school yeah. people just <laughs> suck and and rachel sucked and i was look i have so much compassion for all humans listeners let's be clear but i was really happy that we did not get a sort of like sob story about rachel yes, exactly life and why she was mean because that would have put Liz in a position to like be the better person and rise above and I, I don't think that it should always work like that Rachel is 
horrendous right. to Liz. She uses horrible words to describe her. She outs her to the school. Like, right. it's just, it, it's terrible. And so I'm so glad that we didn't have to, like, feel one minute of totally. sympathy, empathy, compassion for Rachel. She just sucked. And she she just needed to not yeah. be around. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, she needed to have her dream crushed. Right, I know. I really, I mean... I guess if I had to think of like what one of my, I really did like appreciate the whole, you know, F the fairy tale plot point. I thought that was really, cause I was in my head, I was like, okay, she's last at 20, you know, it's like 25 girls basically on the female side and she was dead last. She wasn't really well known. I mean, it was quite a challenge to get her up there. So I was like, oh, I'd like that they did it in these small increments and stuff. Cause that, that made it believable. Cause I mean, something big obviously needed to happen, but I thought that was a really, I love that it was the two like nerdy girls who kind of were like the ones who like really were like championing her. I thought that was fun too. I thought that was a good, you know, it was like, it takes like a, a group. It's like, they were so proud of like the nerd girl doing it. Like the one girl, cause it's like, everyone wants that underdog to like win, you know, it's, um, cause it's like, Oh, she could be me. It could be me. I mean, I think those lines were spoken by one of those girls. It's like Melly. I can't remember their names exactly. There were so many of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of kids. No, I agree with you. I also liked that she discovered that, like, yes, while Rachel did indeed suck, there were some, quote, popular girls who actually were kind of sweet and normal. Like, Quinn was nice. Oh, yeah, Quinn. And Lucy was nice. Like, she had, they had redeeming moments. And I think that, again, I keep coming back to, like, my own high school experience, but that's what happens when you talk about these books. I had these moments where, and I think it also happened toward the end of my senior year where... Again, having gone to this big high school in the final months before graduation, I crossed paths with these girls who for all of these years I had thought were like untouchable and mean and snotty. And I got to know them in these random ways and they were actually not even just fine. They were nice. And I'm, I'm glad that the author also included those kinds of moments. Like I'm glad that we had the contrast of, yes, there are some of these popular girls that have no redeeming qualities and we're not going to spend a lot of time like seeking compassion for them. And yet there are also these popular girls that are not scary and you might actually be able to relate to. So I thought that was really smart. Yeah, I thought that was good too. I mean, I think from my high school experience, you know, I think early in the years, like I was definitely like nerd. I had very strict Korean parents that were just like, I mean, I did not have that much of a social life, but I hung around with some friends and for a while we kind of like ran with like not a fast crowd of high school but like we would kind of hang out with like some there were a lot of local colleges so we were hanging out with boys probably definitely way too old for us basically <laughs> but then uh, I got busted like trying to borrow the family car when I wasn't supposed to in the middle of the night and totally got busted and grounded and whatnot but I think it must have been my junior year but it's one of those things where I was like I was kind of happy in the end after I got through being grounded for like three months forever basically because I pretty much had a very classic high school senior year because I was like oh I'll get involved more in high school activities because that was the only way I could like hang out more is that if it was a school related activity so that's kind of gave me like a really you know I got a senior boyfriend I mean a high school boyfriend and like all that stuff and then we went to prom so it was kind of a nice moment because I think sometimes you do need these a little bit of wake-up calls because I think that's what this did this allowed Liz to really end up having this really interesting senior year, right? This little predicament that happened with the needing the $10,000 scholarship money. It just changed everything for her. Yeah, and it's exactly what you said. She got to meet people who she kind of written off as like the mean girls and they ended up being like, you know, redeeming and interesting. So I like Quinn too. I thought it was so funny when she was like good at the football because she was like, oh yeah, I did <laughs> the dentist for the Colts. I thought that was great. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, I want to see this turned into... Uh, probably like a Netflix miniseries or something. And I want to see, I can't wait to see Quinn. I can't wait to see all of them. But I think, I think Quinn would be a really fun character to see come to life. There's just a lot there. I mean, there's a lot that I want to see on screen from this book. I'm, I'm sure it's in process somewhere. And I'm, I'm sure it is too. For sure. Very excited. I, we talked about her sort of friend breakup with Jordan, but I wanted to touch on her friend breakup with Gabby as well, because I think that something that, that the author has done really well is, put that like friend breakup thing center stage, which I think is sort of like an under, an under discussed or like an underrepresented interpersonal fallout sometimes in pop culture. Like we get so much romantic breakup 
in especially in like teen books teen tv teen movies it's like the devastation of a breakup from boyfriend or girlfriend or a significant other and i actually was talking about this with some of my friends recently about like and i think it's we we read the book in my book club um big friendship which is very good and we were talking in that book club meeting about the friend breakup and how friend breakups can be just as devastating as certain romantic breakups and there's no like people would allow you to take a couple of days or a couple of weeks off from work if you got divorced or if maybe like you and your partner of many years had to like move out of your apartment or something but there's no like acceptable excuse really for like me and my best friend are having a huge fight or we broke up I just don't think it's necessarily I don't know what the right word is. I I don't think it's uh, highlighted as like the major milestone that it often is. So I was glad as hard as those moments were to read, I was glad that they were highlighted in this book because it's really hard to have conflict with your best friends at any age, especially when you're a teenager. I was glad that Liz was able to work through it with Gabby, but I just, it, it was nice to see an author like give that the like credit and like the page count that I think it deserves. Right. Right. I agree. Uh, so is that big friendship book? That's the nonfiction book about it. About, oh yeah, I saw that on Book of the Month Club. And so I was like, wanted, I don't know anyone who read it. So it's good. You liked it? So good. I read it in a, oh, really? like a couple of sittings over the summer and I read it right after, well, not right after, but relatively soon to our move when I was just like, where are all my friends? And I'm never going to be able to make friends because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so it was it was a really interesting time to read it and just to like reflect on the friendships that are no longer as close geographically. And uh, it's great. I would highly recommend it. It'll be it's a quick read, but really interesting. And um, this made me think about it. Yeah, I agree with you about like the whole the female friendship thing. I mean, those are your closest friends. I mean, it's everything to you like in high school and stuff. So it is very traumatic when that sort of stuff happens and it is such a big betrayal for her of like what it meant but I mean yeah again I thought it was good that she like had a voice I mean I felt like I really you know I like the whole interaction of how it like came to be it felt very real to me I actually was like we looking through that area before you know this before we got on today because I was like trying to remember exactly like how it was done because I thought that was very you, you just got to say like what it really meant but then that they were able to get through it I guess that's why I really do like young adult books because you know, you're dealing with situations very often for the first time. So that's why it is so helpful when you have a strong book that you're reading and it was handled very well. You know, it was like, you know, because it showed like the pain and trauma that it went through. But in a way, I'm glad that she kind of did like stand up for herself and really tell her friend why it was wrong. Because these are the times when like Gabby will then learn and understand. Because I did, I understood Gabby, what Gabby was saying too, which is like, you were my only friend. You were like everything to me. So I understand what she, why she did it too. I mean, that's when make so many mistakes when you're a teenager you just because you don't know better like you honestly literally don't know better because you haven't experienced these things so it was you know that again that's why I was very you know I admired this book a lot it just packed in so much stuff that was very that without it feeling forced you know yeah and speaking of which one thing that we haven't even touched on which I think speaks to sort of the casual way that it's introduced and I say that it, that it's very refreshing that it's introduced so casually especially relative to these older books that I typically read for the podcast we haven't talked about the queer rep in this book and the fact that one of the reasons that Liz feels like she's such an outsider is because she's gay in this very traditional repressive kind of community when we meet her like her friends and her family like kind of know that she's gay, but nobody really talks about it. She doesn't talk about it. She's never been in a relationship. And that's the kind of like approach to sexuality that you you just don't get in older books for teens. Like if there is a queer character, like that's the whole story. Like the whole story is the trauma of coming out. And often there are these really negative coming out narratives and the stress of what that looks like for your life. And the fact that this was just something that Liz knew about herself and had sort of represented to the people that she loved, but like it wasn't her whole life. I thought that was really well done and such like a testament to where teen lit is in 2020 in a way that I really loved. And there's a love story. Liz gets her love story and it was really sweet. Right. With Mac, Amanda. Yeah. Oh, no, I know. I thought that was great. I loved the, um, I loved the promposal part of that when, you know, in the end. When she like it was the girl I kept I kept thinking the group um, the kid that kept reminding me of like 
Tegan and Sarah because mm-hmm. I think the name or whatnot so I was like oh it's like Tegan and Sarah I really thought that was great too I it's like because that's just not everything who you are it's exactly what you said you know like it would be like this is a book about like you know a queer girl and prom it wasn't I mean it's like that's what made her such a fully realized person this was just one area of her life she had so much going on I mean it was a major area to like kind of fall in love sort of for the first time but I like that it was like part of it wasn't like the whole story because this is really like showed a good 360 viewpoint of this one character you know this was just one area of her life yeah she meets mac as a at first at least a fellow prom queen hopeful um who's new to town mac's mom had also grown up in campbell county and had run for prom queen and it's just there's this like family lore for her around it even though she doesn't necessarily from the outside seem like somebody who would be interested in being part of all of this and she and liz strike up such a sweet relationship and and they go through their share of ups and downs and they do end up going to the prom together although it has to be unofficial which right so terrible yeah. that that exists so I, I hated that that had to happen for Liz but I also kind of loved that she was like it didn't define her prom experience like we didn't hear that much about it it wasn't like oh I can't officially go with Mac so prom is ruined like you said it's like okay we're still gonna go together we're just not gonna like, right. buy our tickets together or whatever it's really a stupid rule because there's a million ways to break it. So way way to try to hold people down Campbell County High School because it's not going to work. They're still able to go together and it doesn't really ruin Liz's experience at all. And in the end, they really get a big moment together, which was really fun to read. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was another strong thing, too, because you could have like made her take on like the school about that policy. Right. But it wasn't about that. It didn't become politicized within the thing. But, and I also thought that was very real because I'm positive that there are schools like that all over still today, sadly. So it's like, she's making a statement about it, but not like, it's not like aggressive and in your face about it. Cause it's just like a, the reality of the situation, which is that there are probably definitely lots of places where it's like that still, sadly. Yeah. And she was able to make it work in a way that allowed her to still have the kind of time that she wanted to have at her prom, but it didn't become like, it wasn't like you said, it wasn't this big political statement for her within her last few weeks of school. I think it's great if, if there are teens out there who are choosing to make that kind of a statement, but this wasn't the book for that, I don't think. And right. so I'm glad that we we didn't get that. Something else that, that Leah Johnson touched on quite a bit that I think was really well received by readers and by critics, because I saw a lot about it in my reading, was the representation of anxiety and Liz's really serious anxiety disorder. And almost every review that I've read, whether it was from like a Kirkus or a school library journal or from a blog, talks about how refreshing and real this depiction of anxiety was. And uh, as somebody who is quite anxious, and especially over the last couple of months has been dealing with a lot of anxiety, I have to agree. I, I thought it was really I keep feel like I keep saying like this was really well done, but I think that the anxiety rep again was really well done in this book. Yeah, it felt very real. I mean, it was very funny when she threw up on Jordan's <laughs> Yeezy yeah. sweatshirt. I thought that was yeah. well done. I, was like, I, I thought it was very funny. Remembered. Yeah, totally. Exactly. I know. I was like, what is yeah. this one? But yeah, I thought that was. I thought that was a very sweet moment that he remembered that about her, you know, et cetera. You know, and that's like, oh, those are your real friends who can handle that sort of stuff. So again, I thought that was very well done too. I know we keep repeating. We're like, I mean, yeah, cheers to Leah Johnson. But I mean, after reading all the reviews, it was one of those things where there was so much hype about this book because it kept building, et cetera. And it really did deliver though, because it was that thing where sometimes I get a little bit nervous on those books where you're like, oh, am I really going to be? Um, and But I really, you know, I found it a delight sort of to read. And again, I'm because I'm such a sucker for prom. I really like, I mean, they didn't do the whole prom proposal thing. Do you remember how you, your prom thing? I feel, when like, you were asked? I, I feel like, well, I did not get a prom proposal because I went right. like a friend of a friend of a friend and we, right. like, he like literally left me at the prom to go to some after party. So that was my prom. Oh. Um, <laughs> really fun. And then my friend had to drive me home because I went to like the school sanctioned after party and my date oh. went to like the cool after party. And so it is really embarrassing. Um, so no, I did not get like an extensive proposal, but I do think that I was sort of like in this sort of transitional phase when proposals were starting to come into fashion. My younger sisters, I think, may have had a few proposals among them, but nothing like what we see in this book. 
I was a part of one, but I wasn't. So my ex-boyfriend's um, son, who's now like a sophomore in Wesleyan um, named Dustin, before when he was in high school in Santa Monica, we stayed in touch, even though his father and I broke up when we lived together for five years when Dustin was like age seven to 12. So we got really close. And so obviously we kept in touch until he finished high school and still now. But he, I think I took him and his girlfriend um, and my husband, we went to Benihana because we used to love to go to Benihana um, as like a kid. And I think it was for like a birthday or something. So we went to Benihana and we were talking to him about prom and he had a girlfriend and they were obviously going to go. But I was like, oh, so did you guys do the whole prom proposal thing or whatnot? And he was like, eh. But it was one of those things where I was like, oh my God, you're being such a boy. I could tell. Yeah. But you still have to ask her. And I think she even like kind of elbowed him. But you still have to ask me and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, you should do something now. And we talked to the chef at Benihana and he spelled out the words prom and fried rice with a question mark for her. And he asked her right there and then we filmed it. So that ended up being like the prom proposal. It was really fun. That's cute. As a lover yeah. of hibachi. Um, yeah, totally. That sounds really, that's very cute. I love that. This, yes, this book was just fun to read. Um, made me have all kinds of prom memories. Clearly some good and some bad like being left at the prom by my date but that happens I mean look it can't be perfect so on the whole what do you think that this book you should see me in a crown kind of tells us about where we are with YA in general usually on the show at the end of every episode we kind of talk about whether the rereading experience of an old book holds up to my guests experience reading it as a kid. We're obviously not doing that for New Reads November. So instead, I've been asking my guests to talk about kind of like what this newer YA book says to them about the YA community. You're a part of the YA community, Jenny. So I think you can speak to the experience of writing a YA book in 2020 as well. But I'm just curious what you think You Should See Me in a Crown tells us about maybe the progress we've made in the stories that we're telling teenagers and maybe even where we still have to go. Although I feel like Leah Johnson has done a lot. I don't I don't know that there's a lot more that she has to do here. But where do you think that this book puts us? Sort of interesting. I mean, I, I mean, uh, Anna Kay, which came out in March, so a couple months before this was my first YA book. And I have to say, you know, it's interesting. I wasn't, obviously I'm aware of young adult and being like, and it was that it was booming, but I wouldn't say that I was a big reader of young adult fiction before. Like all the ones that crossed over the fault of our stars, John Green, like the ones that really like cross over into pop culture and like a lot of adults, you know, older people, everyone's reading it basically. Those are the books that I definitely read in the Hunger Games, etc. But I wasn't really seeking out young adult before I started writing it. But now that I'm part of the community, I find it so fascinating and it's so big and they really are moving at such an exceptionally fast pace. What I think why this one's such a great example is because the book's still fun. Do you know what I mean? Like I definitely think there's a place on, I'm a, I think there's great that there's these new young adult books that are really going very hard at like a lot of different issues about like race and culture and sexuality and trans and a lot of different issues are really being discussed at the same time for me too though like I think there's a time for like the darker sort of books that get very intense and that get very real like I like that but at the same time this is a perfect book in terms of like it's a little bit it still does all of that as well but it's a, a little bit of a lighter touch which I appreciate because I find it like a fun, a sort of escapist read too. But, and so, and it's not like all those lessons that she talked about in here that like Liz Lighty was learning herself or that she was dealing with. It's, they still very affect you. I mean, that just, that she just doesn't go right at it. I find, you know, I appreciate that. Cause I think that's what I sort of did a little bit with Anna Kay as well. And to me, I was just writing the story about this group of teens. And yes, it, you know, I made sure it was like culturally diverse because that was important to me, but I didn't necessarily talk about race that much. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't, you know, it was like, this is how I populated. This is how I wanted the world to be. And these were some of my viewpoints that the characters had, but not, it wasn't very like heavy handed. It wasn't a book about, you know, again, this You Should See Me in Crown is not a book about being like a girl who is like discovering, you know, her sexuality or being queer. It's not a book about this. It's not a book about, you know, it's a lot of things. That's what made her main character such a delight because she was just very complicated. And that's what you are as a teenager. She has complicated relationships with her family, with like her past, like, you know, like having lost her mother. So it just made it so interesting. So, I mean, I think this is like pretty much a shining example of like the great places that YA are going today. So I, I'm glad that teenagers today have a chance to read books like this because it does, I mean, I think that's the point about when you're younger and you're reading, it's like these books make you feel 
less alone, you know, and that there's other people like you that are having these experiences, whether you identify directly with Liz Lady herself or one of the other characters even. It really kind of gives you some food for thought without feeling like pressured, like you're being taught a lesson, et cetera, which I appreciate too. Yeah, I think there are a lot of individual elements of You Should See Me in a Crown and of all four of the books that we've now covered for New Year's November that even five or 10 years ago would have turned a novel into a quote like issue novel. Right. And we don't, it doesn't have to be like that anymore, which is really refreshing. We can talk about these things and it can still be a fun read, as you said. So I think that captures it really well. Other than You Should See Me in a Crown, is there anything that you've been reading lately that you would recommend to listeners? It doesn't have to be YA. I know you said you've been tearing through books lately. Yesterday, I read Daisy Jones and the Six. It's that book that everyone I kept seeing everywhere. Yeah. And like in Book of the Month Club and it won Book of the Year. And I again, I got that book ages ago too. And so when I go on vacation, when I, I was just finishing uh, Anna K the sequel, like a rewrite and edits on that. So when I'm like deep into writing, I don't have that much time to read. And I'm certainly not, and I don't tend to also like read books like if I'm working on a young adult book I'm not reading other young adult books I'm just kind of saving them I don't know what it is exactly because I know some people are totally the opposite and they only immerse themselves in young adult but I don't know I just don't uh, do that so I have a huge stack so Daisy Jones and the Six I have um the new V Schwab book or whatnot the of Addie LaRue is that the new one or whatnot I haven't read that yet you have um Majesty the sequel to American Royals Yes. So I'm super That's good. I read that. Oh, really? Excellent. I've been saving it. That was like my premiere book. I've met uh, Catherine and she's so great. And so I've been totally excited to like dive back into that since it was such a big cliffhanger on the first one. So um, that's like, I think literally my next book, I think I'm going to pick up today. There's nothing better than vacation reading. And I, I do the same thing. I save books. I actually, I have Anna Kay saved for my Thanksgiving few days off. So I've been eyeing it for so long. I'm obsessed with the cover. It's, I think, one of my favorite covers. I'm not just saying that because you wrote it. Um, But I love the cover of your book so much. And I've been seeing it on Instagram for so long. And then when we connected and I was able to bring you on the show, I decided that I was going to save Anna Kay for my Thanksgiving reading. So I'm the same way where I'm like, this is the book that I'm going to read (laughs) in my downtime. Because I feel like so much of my reading time between grad school and the podcast and like just trying to read as many books as possible. Like it's often so fast paced. And so I like to flag yes. certain books and hold on to them. And listeners, I'm going to be running an Anna K giveaway over on Instagram this week. So if you're listening in real time, get yourself over to SSR pod on Instagram and enter for your chance to win a copy so that you can also read it during this cozy fall reading season. That sounds like a perfect plan. I know you'll have to tell me how, if you have fun. I know it's so funny. Cause I'm always like, Ooh, when the pandemic started, I was like, you know, I was in the middle of writing the sequel and it was just so, I mean, obviously it just changes the tenor things. And I was like, oh, does anyone want to read about these like rich kids having fun over summer? Cause yeah. that's what the sequel takes place over the summer. And so really like I paused for like four months, the early pandemic to like really think about it and discuss with my editors. Cause I was like, we just don't know what the world's going to be like. And then it's weird because like my book you know, there are these markers, there's, they go to a Coachella, um, this isn't really anything for you, they go to a Coachella, um, which is literally Coachella 2019, it's the exact same lineup, but I was like, oh, it's now, where sometimes I was worried that I was, like, dating myself with, like, some of the references, but now I'm like, oh, but now it'll live forever in 2019, because that is pre-pandemic, I think it's going to be a marker in our history, basically, like, pre and post, like, the all the kids of 2020 so having the sequel take place in the summer was interesting because I was like it's pre-pandemic still because it hadn't happened yet so in a way I was like oh but maybe this will be an ode to the summer because it's literally the last summer before everything like went crazy I sort of want to read those kinds of stories right now in the pandemic I know there is such like a debate about whether it's like tone deaf or whether it's what people are craving I definitely am craving it so I will I will be happy to read a book about enjoying a summer does the sequel come out in 2021 Yes. Um, the sequel's coming out April 27th. Okay. I think it's rated for. Have you seen the cover? Because we shot it at the same time. Oh, wait. No, I haven't seen the cover. Is the cover out there? I think the cover is out there. I did it on a, like a, a Bellatrix sort of oh, thing. Um, it's definitely, I don't know if I've put it on my Instagram yet. You know, I watched that movie, the documentary, The Social Dilemma about social media, and it really kind of put me off like social media for a little bit. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to take a little break for a little while. So I haven't been on that much, but I think it is. So 
somewhere on my Instagram. I'm going to get back on soon though. Okay. I'll have to go look because I, I need to see them both together and I will be sure to link to your website and your social media so that when you're feeling back into social media, all of my listeners will have a chance to go find out what you're doing and to keep track of your work listeners. I will also include links to you should see me in a crown and all of the books that Jenny mentioned on today's episode. And of course, a link to Anna Kay in the show notes for this episode. Jenny, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for helping me wrap up New Reads November on such a fantastic note. And I hope you go ahead and enjoy the rest of your hard-earned pandemic vacation. Thanks, Allie. It was really fun talking about this book. It was like mini book club, just me. Yeah, it was so fun. So fun. fun. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks, Jenny. Bye. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>